Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Imagine bold, naturally aged Tillamook cheddar slices melting over a burger, eating handfuls of thick-cut cheddar shreds straight from the bag, taking a bite out of an irresistibly bold block of extra-sharp cheddar cheese. (sighs) We know you want to get back to streaming, but wasn't it nice to daydream about cheese for a bit? Tillamook Cheddar. Extraordinary Dairy. With an all-new Keep It, I'm Ira Madison III. And I'm Louis Fertel. I remain Louis Fertel in the midst of, apparently, among the grayest Junes on record here in Los Angeles. And I'm wearing gray for the occasion. I'm really fitting in. <laughs> well, listen, the summer is hot in New York. It's sunny. The burning ash is gone. It's bright. And I just, I just, uh, I just took a trip, Louis. Oh, where'd you go? Pound Town. Oh, God. That's not a place you can go. (laughs) This is a song you're obsessed with. I'm obsessed with this song. It's from this rapper, this raptress, um, Sexy Red. Great name. And Nicki Minaj is on the remix. So it's called Pound Town 2. And when I tell you that this song has taken over New York City. Really? Like, take it. My friends are constantly listening to it. I was listening to it in an Uber on the way to... um, on the way from Brooklyn Pride last weekend, and this like group of five girls like heard it at the stoplight and basically like surrounded the car and started dancing. First of all, Sexy Red is only the name I use for Willie Nelson. <laughs> Second of all, I heard the song. It's a kind of traditional rap song, kind of mid tempo. Yeah, I'm kind of missing listen, the she's X not factor. On beat. Yeah, <laughs> okay, <laughs> but <laughs> it's one of those. It's one of those She's especially dumb songs that is just so funny. Like she definitely names the colors of her um her coochie's whole, pink. And, yes, the coochie's And her yes. booty hole is brown. Right. And we love uh the color wheel. So I'm really <laughs> thrilled about that. Uh I love We're, an ignorant song. Over here, I would say Panam Panam is still I can't even really say the the song of the summer, because by the way, the charts have still not heard of it. You know, you, you scroll all the way down, and it's like, nope, it's still Morgan Wall in the house down boots. But I did buy Kylie merch. There's a Padam Padam oh. chain necklace that you can get for like 20 bucks or something that will arrive. Well, it's available in July, which means I'm probably going to get it well after we're done with Padam Padam sometime in the September area. When the album comes out. Right. I, I cannot believe how long we have to wait for this album to come out. I know we've talked a lot about Kylie over the past few weeks here, but... I'm waiting for some other single to stand out. I don't know yeah. what else I'm supposed to be like um, out in these New York parking lots jamming to with Ty Sunderland. I need you twerking the pound town, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> I need to adopt it. I need to, I need to get a driver's license in pound town. Yeah. 
You know, I have Kylie merch from the last album. It's a it was a Disco. necklace. It was a necklace with just the letter K. Oh, that's cute. Classic. I bought on her website. She has lots of um, stuff from her previous albums. I got a, uh, an Aphrodite sweatshirt. Still in my top three or four albums of hers. Okay. And, Body and language a and fever, bar. of course, the top two. Yeah. A chocolate bar from the album Body Language. <laughs> Man, the audacity of her to put out an R&B song called Chocolate. I mean, and it worked. I'm just saying. Yeah. It could have gone, you know, awry. We've talked about this, that Ludacris was originally on the song. That would be fabulous. And apparently he yeah. is amazing at the Janet shows. Yeah. Uh, he's really good at it. He like You could still... So he was removed from the song for, I don't know, label reasons. There's always label reasons, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Um, but you can hear him in the background vocals. Like the guy who's like sort of like, you know, like whispering stuff on the oh, track. That's yeah, Ludacris' right. voice. Okay, I'm going to listen back to that. I listen to that album all the time anyway. Um, <sighs> yes, uh, I saw over the weekend Mariah Carey at LA how Pride. Was that? Well, we'll get to that in a second. Because <laughs> I had heard, then I forgot that um, Half of Town was shut down because Janet Jackson was at the Hollywood Bowl and people loved her. She was fabulous. I was a little surprised at how expensive the tickets were, so I didn't jump mm. on it immediately and kind of forgot about it. But Mariah, I will say this. I arrive at the show along with all of Los Angeles. We're just in an abandoned ditch near the train tracks on nowhere. That's where this takes place. So L.A. Pride. You got it, baby. (laughs) Pride in the park. Uh, Would love to know what the name of the park is because it didn't feel like one. Uh, We're there. A car park. I guess. She is dressed pure white, sparkling all the way down. She looks like the $5,000 wedge on Wheel of Fortune. And... Fabulous, you know the she has that kind of Jennifer Coolidge, uh, Uber eyelashes, classic Mariah mm. Carey thing. My thing about this show is I can't picture what the successful version of it was supposed to look like because <laughs> it was remix on remix on remix. You got like snippets of all of these. They would repeat remixes. I heard Fantasy easily three times while I was standing there, and she seemed to be confused and perturbed. Looking at nobody and her mysterious dancer who's next to her at all times. And then like one dancer? Yeah, yes, I think. And then at one point she's getting out of this like red car that drives onto stage, fine. And she has a tiara, and suddenly she is touching the tiara the entire time as if it's gonna fall off or it's not fastened there or they haven't planned this. So I don't I don't know how much they rehearsed or if she didn't do a sound check or whatever. Not that there was much sound coming from Mariah Carey anyway. Her interludes where she was talking to the audience, very funny. Okay. Um, and she like named the, uh, the, the, I guess pride is an acronym now. And she went and named what P-R-I-D and E stand for. In my opinion, it stands for uh, protest, riot, Ileana Douglas, Dana Delaney, and Eve. And I mm. guess that's not the real thing, but she w- said whatever they are. So mm, pride I just, for me stands for puffy red Ibsen. Oh, down everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. Ibsen. Wow. <laughs> Jessica Chastain really nailed it this year. She's um, done. Yeah. Uh, so I can't say it was a good show, but it was great to see her. She did look excellent. And mm. I loved, you know, that dancing to the Morales remix of Dream Lover, which we heard, I think, seven times. <laughs> to be fair, it's also 20 minutes. Right. <laughs> no, she walked off stage and on, please. Yeah. Um I'm glad the sorry. I'm 
I'm not shocked that the interludes were great because obviously she's her hilarious. book was she's fucking yeah. hilarious. Her book was um so much better to listen to than to read. Um how do we get her some kind of like show? Right. Yes. Like, like just let her do the interludes and stuff. Like honestly, Mariah with a radio show would be so much fun. Like Queen Radio, give That's us what Mariah I mean. Radio. She's just talking, and then her songs play in between the conversation, and then maybe she joins in sometimes. Maybe she gives you like some background on a song. Mm. I think that's all I want. Right, she, like a quick story about how. Oh yeah, you won't believe what ODB said to me as I walked into the studio that day. Whatever. Um, yeah. yeah, the difference is between her and Nicki Minaj is that I do think Mariah Carey, shall we say, exhausts easily. So I don't know that she's going to stay at the mic for the full hour or even the, the full half hour. He's <laughs> right. Yeah. Nobody loves a day bed like Mariah Carey. <laughs> Mariah on Keep It would be ten minutes. Uh, right. She's By like, the way, please come good, here. Baby. Even though I just, I, I just was maybe a pessimistic about the show. Yeah. She'd please be like, come here. I'm good, baby. Y'all have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> Mariah, you only said your name. Also, can I say, so at one point she left the stage to switch costumes and she was like, now take a look at how you really took over TikTok. And then she showed us some TikTok trend that happened with some song of hers I had never heard of. Girl, I do not care. Girl, what? I think it's about my face from Memoirs of an Imperfect Angel. Yeah, I, it's a non-single. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the, she, we saw a million people dancing to it or not dancing to it. Because it's I have the sped up on TikTok. Let me yes. tell you something. Mm. I'm a little sick of the sped up versions. Who thought that was rad? Who's like jamming to that? I don't want to hear that. Because the kids do a choreo. Everyone's doing choreo now. Oh, my God. Where, where is, by the... Actually, I forgot this. In the middle of it, Debbie Allen shows up mm. to... Um, of course. Drop some jokes or something. <laughs> Can Debbie Allen just criticize all of these TikToks in general and be like, you're going home today. You're not getting to the next round of auditions. I just don't want to see these people moving Where's around. Where's Laurie Gibson? It's yeah, too Laurie much. Gibson. Mia Michaels, please show up. Yeah. <laughs> God, I loved how mean she was and So You Think You Can Dance. When you get a mean judge, slay. Uh, well, it sounds successful. <laughs> I had a great time, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah. who would pass up a chance to hang out with Mariah? But no, also, it's like, I think I just had water in my hand, nothing going on chemically with me. I was, you put on Honey, I'm rhapsodic. I mean, it was lovely in many ways. Did she play the 9-11 song? What, and what was that? Oh, here. oh, she apparently came out afterwards and did a piano version of Hero. Hero is my least favorite of her number one hits, so I didn't mm. need to stick around for that. But mm. even worse than I Don't Want to Cry, a song you don't hear anymore. All right. Well, that's our show. <laughs> <laughs> We're just like Mariah. We're done. <laughs> it's off to my third nap. Um, no, we have a lot to talk about this week. We have the Tony Awards. Can't wait to discuss them. They were razzle-dazzle. Yeah, classic. Yeah. And yet not classic, since there were no writers involved, as Ariana DeVos illustrated in the first seconds of her opening number. Yeah, we've got the Tonys, and then also a salacious new book is out. Elliot Page's memoir. Thank you to the this fierce member of the queer community for reviving the salacious memoir. When was the last salacious memoir we got? I mean, Mariah's wasn't even that salacious. Yeah, Demi Moore? Yeah. Just the time that she snuck out with Debrat to go and get french fries. Right, which should be serialized. Like, the that should be the next Zola movie. Like, we should, <laughs> I should be seeing that on the big screen. 
Uh, don't let any 24 hear you. <laughs> they are on the walls of Crooked, I feel. <laughs> uh, and also, our guest this week is the divine Patricia Arquette. I mean, I know I say this about a lot of our interviews recently. When she came on, and just the way she is extremely articulate about how she acts, how she approaches a project, whatever, it was just astounding. I was so thrilled to talk with her. She's so warm and a, a legend. Jesus Christ, she's been famous almost as long as both you and I have been alive. Yeah, and she's so thoughtful about each of her roles. She remembers yes. them, too. Love so, that. that. Which is wild, because she's been in everything. You can't, I mean, like, when we interview legends sometimes, there's no guarantee that they have, like, a razor-sharp memory about everything they've ever done. And she was like, we were living it with her while she described it, so. Yeah. All right, we'll be back with more Keep It. Cricket is raising money for Vote Save America's Fuck Bands, Leave Queer Kids Alone Fund, supporting organizations on the ground in states that are banning, care, and targeting trans youth. Our original goal was $50,000, but you are all so amazing and have crushed that already. So now we're doubling it to $100,000. You can donate to either political impact organizations or tax-deductible nonprofits or both. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash fuckbands to learn more and donate today. Because you know what we don't do? We don't harass you via text like the Democratic Party. Adam Schiff is like, I'm at your door. (laughs) Broadway's biggest night was this weekend, and we're finding it hard to rain on this parade. Wow, you gave it the full entertainment tonight with that one. Funny story. That is the only song in Funny Girl. (laughs) Oh, right. It's the only one you ever hear. It's giving Dolly Parton lifetime tribute. She did 9 to 5, I Will Always Love You, and I don't know what else. (laughs) Even with no writers, there were still some iconic moments and speeches. So, did we like the Tonys? And who did the thing? (laughs) First of all, I regret how good the show is. Because, as you know, there were no— there were no writers. And Sorry, so it's writers. Not, it's not exactly a, sh- a sterling endorsement of my profession. Um, yeah, it began with a musical number. Very smart, right? No talking in that. So, I mean, she, by the way, I just want to point out, so the Tonys were at the United Palace in Washington Heights. Um, you, you, can, you can tell it was up there because Ariana DeBose kept saying, Wepa! <laughs> <laughs> Fitting in, do you see? Yeah. <laughs> but um, she had me hooked from like the first seconds when she flings herself down a flight of stairs in the theater and then they catch her. I was like, she's a performer. Well, also, you have to remember before she was Oscar winner Ariana DeBose, she was So You Think You Can Dance contestant Ariana DeBose. And those people, I don't think there has been a show in the history of television that works its contestants like that show. So if you survive, if you become. If if you get to the final stretch of that show, I mean, I mean, it's like an Olympian feat. It's like you may as well be a decathlete. Yeah, um, she was so fucking good, and yeah, I mean, we could just say it right away. The writers are not needed for the Tonys. I unfortunately would like to cancel us. Yeah, keep it to <laughs> everything I've ever done and everything I believe in. Well, because the thing about the Tonys that made this so great is like we started with that musical number, and it really just went from like. Musical number speech, musical number speech, musical number speech, because, you know, there's all these musicals to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And, like, God, can the fucking Oscars do that? 
Right. I mean, it was, uh, well, I will say about this year's Oscars, the one I wrote for, um, I mean, like, I think it was considered successful because it was more bare bones. Like, there was a monologue, but that was it. You know, there wasn't, you know, you know, it's not Jimmy coming at you from a Ferris wheel halfway through the show or some sort of wild stunt. (laughs) Um, Yes, no. And also, like, everybody at the Tonys, the people who give the speeches, they generally have so much to say. You know, a lot of, Mm -hmm. we had uh, non-binary winners, so they had a lot to talk about. Mm -hmm. We had... You know, people to thank. There's there, there's always um, underrated people in the theater who need to be shouted out. So there's just a lot to say outside of pre-planned written material. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I will say, we got somewhat longer or more interesting clips of shows because, um, you know, I guess they had to fill time. I regretted that the plays in the clips I saw didn't come off looking spectacular. Like, A Doll's House, to me, looked like a high school production. They based looked on what weird I was... in the clips. Yes, even though in person, it's extremely bracing. You know, yeah. you're in this grayscale production, so it's, like, really grim and kind of Kafka-esque. Uh, mm-hmm. But it didn't appear that way on TV. So um, I hope people weren't dissuaded by that. That said, almost all the musical numbers I saw were good. Outside of Didn't Love New York, New York, New York. I thought that looked like any musical from any time. I could have been watching a clip from 1977. I mean, also, they were making out for a long-ass time at the end yeah. of that the number. I was like... Stop. I was like, what's going on? He's married. <laughs> <laughs> Unhand him. <laughs> um, I love the musical numbers, too, because, like, the whole point of the Tonys, too, is, like, what's different in making this one bare bones and just presenting the theater is the fact that the majority of Americans watching this it's an advertisement more so than even the Oscars or Emmys is, right? Like, mm-hmm. you're usually watching the Oscars and the Emmys because you've seen what is being presented. Yeah, you have or an maybe idea you of what the movies film. are anyway, correct. Yeah, yeah. you know you're what the like, movies are. Mm-hmm. Um, you could know, like, what Kimberly Akimbo is in theory, but, you know, you need to hear a song from it, and that is what inspires people to then be like, oh, I want to get tickets to go and see this show. Right, right, right. No, like even me, like I'm somebody who knows what Kimberly Akimbo is, but I had never actually just watched the clip of Victoria Clark. Like, oh, that's the nature of this show. We're getting a little mm-hmm. bit of Robin Williams and Jack. Yeah, while dressing like Clarissa explains it all. <laughs> she so was. Oh, my God. <laughs> the ladder coming up to the window. Here's Sam. Yeah. Um. The winners. Listen, this Plenty of interesting stat. winners. Even though yeah. there were not many surprises. No. And here's the thing. Like, you could sort of, like, guess what's going to be winning. Um, you know, the Leopoldstadt payola was strong. <laughs> um, it's a very I, important story. I went out to uh, lunch or dinner with my friend Richard Lawson seconds after he saw that. He's the uh, Vanity Fair uh, film critic. And he seemed... Moved and uh, a little bit paralyzed by it. So I feel like that's the kind of thing that wins best play, you know? Tom Stoppard. Yes. Also, Tom Stoppard being here and dropping little AI jokes. Did not expect that. Love that. <laughs> not somebody who gave us like a classic play in 1967 or 8 or whatever he said. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. This man just still yeah. walking around. That's amazing. And Coast of Utopia, which is actually still on. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, you didn't leave. Left, um, left, left the theater a few years ago, and I think they're in Act ninety seven. So, uh, uh, but I should finally see Leopoldstadt now. Um, I do love Patrick Marber, so mm-hmm. I wish he would go back to writing instead of directing. Oh yeah, but speaking I'd of direct- closer, speaking of directing, by the way, though, 
um, uh, uh, a friend of mine won the directing of a musical Tony, mm. Michael Arden, and he gave a speech that was, I'd never seen anything like that on television. It was so it was exciting. Saucy. So what happened was he said, he's a gay guy, um, he said, I've been called the F word my entire life, and look at me now, I'm a faggot with a Tony. Now, on the uh, broadcast, they bleeped out that entire sentence. So you probably couldn't even guess what he said, even though you might maybe see that he said faggot. I am, I don't want to say blown away by the takes I've heard about this, but I saw somebody say online, I respect that some people think the F word is unacceptable no matter what. How about you open your fucking ears? This is somebody <laughs> who's been called the word his entire life, and you're in a, the Tonys where they hear this word all the time. Everybody in that room's been called the F word the entire life. I was uh-huh. thrilled to hear the word faggot in its full gusto spoken okay, on that telecast. Because we're FWA, okay? We're faggots <laughs> with attitude. <laughs> we pitched that as the title of this podcast, and <laughs> Tommy Vitor said, I'm not sure. <laughs> he adjusted his collar like the white guy in the Baby Got Back video. <laughs> um, I love that like the theater erupted for that. Everybody you know, like the, was the, the, living. The, the faces Hansen, were wild. <laughs> the Evans Hansen jumped up. <laughs> the, yeah, there's 14 of them, by the way. They're, they're all five one and flaming. <laughs> Even though that role uh, is not gay. <laughs> but what this book presupposes is maybe he is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Alex Newell uh, was excited. Um, it was funny seeing Michaela Diamond. Um, you know, laughing too. I love the speeches. I love the speeches. I loved Alex Newell winning um, for um, being the first non-binary actor to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then right after that, Jay Harrison Gee was the second non-binary actor to win. We're so, suddenly sick of non-binary people winning. It's over yeah, now. Non-binary? It seems like it's all binary. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, here, it made me think about uh, the categories in which we divide these people for awards. Mm-hmm. There's obviously been talk about the Oscars eliminating gendered categories. But then you think about it, and it's like actor is not a gendered word. So, mm-hmm. and, and, and most performers identify as an actor. So yeah. if, you, if you don't fit into the categories, might you just submit yourself an actor? But then you think, well, if there is that category, why would you need a category called actress? Anyway, well, it, it remains complicated. Is, um, Latin for um, lesser actor. Oh, that's right. <laughs> They're actually three inches shorter, that Oscar. <laughs> and the role's not as good. No, no. Um, I mean, that continues to be a conversation that'll bubble up over the next couple of years. But I just had never thought of the fact that actor is what any performer would call themselves. So if you don't identify as, you know, if if, if you're non-binary, you might just submit yourself in the actor category. And look, it no, worked out. I mean, like, listen, I call women actors. I like the word actor. To their face, and then you spit on them. Yeah. Yeah. Come here, you actor. Yeah, just an actor. <laughs> Full Hitchcock. Yeah. Uh, so I like the word, but actor versus actress, who's having that conversation? Not no. us. So moving on. Uh, <laughs> what musicals did you like? What, what, what inspired you to be like, I want to go and see this? Well, and which ones were you like, I don't know about that one. Um, well, I'll start with plays. First of all, okay. I had seen Good Night Oscar, obviously, with Sean Hayes. Fabulous mm-hmm. performance. I've said, like, he, he plays Oscar Levant, this guy with this mordant wit and uh, amazing uh, pianist. 
uh, and you get to see that skill in the show. When th- there's a piano um, solo he does that is just eye-popping. You're, you're giving mm. full Beatlemania in the audience with everybody. So it's not a surprise he won. Even though he's up against some heavy hitters like Yaya Abdul-Mateen and Stephen McKenley H- Henderson, which uh, you cannot throw a nickel at a uh, A24 movie without him popping up. Um, <laughs> but man, I have to say, the star for me of the night is Jodie Comer in this Prima Fosse show mm. where she's the only performer. Did you know that Jodie Comer won a Tony for the first time she has ever been on a stage? Yeah. That Listen, is zany. It's a great role. It's a great play. So um, I think you got you know three Jessica weeks of that pressed. to see it if you want to go see it. So yeah, you know Jessica was pressed, and she because she, she dressed the part of the Egar. winner. Yeah. She wants that Ega. She is. <laughs> she is. She's coming back. Because the heart, obviously, the hardest ones to get when you have when you want an EGOT are Oscar and Tony. Once you clear those, you can you can basically like put it on ice for a few years. Like the Emmys and the Grammys will roll around eventually. You read an you, audiobook, it's coming to you. First of all. It's her own fault anyway, because Doll's House closed on June 10th. So you can't even go see it. If she had won, were they going to extend it or something so yeah, people could right. see it? Like it closed. So lazy heifer. <laughs> and also, she up and left that man and she's not coming back. So the right. door's already okay. shut. Torvald yeah. already said, I'm moving on with my life. She stood up and said, Don't refer to me as a doll. That is what trans women call themselves. <laughs> and then she stormed out. <laughs> Really prescient <laughs> Henrik Ibsen play. Uh, I have to say, I really want to see Some Like It Hot. Not that I didn't want to before. We talked about it with Amber it Ruffin, so the co-writer of it, when she was here. Good. Yes, Amber Ruffin. It's, it's ugh. And like, it's such a great cast. Uh, you can see why they brought Amber Ruffin in. Um, you know, Matthew Lopez was also a co-writer. Um, but, you know, judging from the inheritance... Um, the stage is a lot darker than that play. Yeah, right. Um, I was not super enamored of Shucked, which is a play about corn, a musical about corn, even though everybody in it is giving it the full seven brides for seven mm-hmm. brothers, like, um, you know, hoot nanny type dancing. Except they all look like they live in Fort Greene and are shucking corn. <laughs> so that was interesting. Uh, and I really loved also. I haven't seen it yet, and I haven't really listened to the cast recording because I try not to do that before I see a show. Um, I was like, these have to be just two songs being mashed up because Alex Newell walking out to sing a note and then walking yeah, right. away. By the way, like, I'm in this. Is that selling the show? Oh, <laughs> another me? show I will not be seeing, even though I think Lorna Courtney is an awesome singer and we uh, she performed so you and think, uh, since you've been gone with Kelly Clarkson on her show recently. And Julia, I do not need to see Katy Perry songs sung on a Tony eligible show. Like, I don't want to see Moulin Rouge. I don't want to see whatever the fuck this roar also sucks with all respect to my girl, Bonnie McKee, who is coming back. Co- uh, songwriter Bonnie McKee is allegedly releasing uh, a bunch coming of songs that she wrote 10 years ago. Okay, moving right along. <laughs> moving. I always root for the songwriter girls. You know, when someone like, even though like Sia's not my thing, the fact that she found a spotlight for herself, you know, it's like in the tradition of Carol King or something. Like, Then root for Carrie Hilson. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't not. You're s- okay. She's been knocked down. She still hasn't got up. I just want to say about that song, in 2009, you could not get away from that song, and now you never hear that song. Except, you know what you hear all the fucking time now? Pretty Girl Rock. Yeah, I do hear that all the time, which is fine. 
Listen, and Juliet is a fun musical. I had a really fucking good time. What's interesting is that was also a bad performance to pick for mm. me. Because it's just like, oh, here's Katy Perry. Um, right. I would have picked one of the like Britney songs, or there's a moment where they sing Kesha's Blow when they oh, get one to of the this party um, in Paris. Like that's really fun, and it uses like the whole um, company. And I get that she was nominated, um, but I don't know when I think about Tony performances that I want to watch, and that's why I love the Some Like It Hot one because you know us. Like like when we be at after parties, right? For years, it's always like. Throw on, yeah, um, something from the Tonys. Like you're yeah, watching anything you're goes, Foster yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and so you want to see something fun. You want to see something entertaining. And I'm like, I don't want to hear those girls sing "Roar." And also, that's not even in the show. It's like so at the end after she's triumphant. Like that's the sort of like, oh, I'm coming out to sing this, and now the audience is on their feet, like clapping along. Ugh, it's just, it's giving, now that's what I call music volume 77. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't be thrilled about that. There's some really good mixes in it. Um, there's a Bon Jovi song, It's My Life, that's like amazing in the show. And by um, the way, the period of uh, John Bon Jovi's life when he was the hottest. When yes. he was on the VH1 Top 20 countdown, that's when he was hot. Yeah, when he was replacing um, Robert Downey Jr. on um, Ally McBeal. Oh yes, I remember it well. Yeah, the, the uh, days of Vonda and Roses. Yes, <laughs> um, but it's really fun. I will say, if you do go see Angeliet, there's a jump scare at the end when they perform um, that Justin Timberlake trolls song. No, can't stop the feeling is in Angeliet, which the Oscar nominated can't stop the feeling. Yes, which I think honestly um, precludes it from ever winning a Tony. Yeah. Oh, that can't be in a Tony Award nominated show. Come on, it was think with your a head. Jump scare loop. I was having <laughs> such a good time, and it's like one of the last songs of the show, and I audibly screamed. That is tough. That is very tough. <laughs> so Michael Arden won a Tony for directing Parade. That starred Ben Platt. What did you think of that performance? What an unusual uh, vocal tone. He was sort of holding. I don't know anything about singing. He held this vibrato the entire time, and it's sort of a a, sort of a haunting performance from him. It felt like a Theragun. I loved yeah. it. <laughs> That's the it was kind, very see, soothing. Yes. <laughs> I love Ben's voice. Um, and I'm uh, very excited that I'm seeing, um, I'm very excited that I'm seeing Parade in a couple weeks. Uh, oh, cool. Also, I get to see Ben in it and I also get to see my friend Jay A. Johnson who is in it as well. Um, I just, I love that musical. I love Jason Robert Brown. Mm -hmm. You know? And so, I'm always happy to see a new Jason Robert Brown musical. Um, ben and his boyfriend. Not new, Noah sorry. Yeah. I'm always happy to see a Jason Robert Brown musical. New or revival, whichever. Ben Platt and his boyfriend, who also was in Dear Evan Hansen, Noah yes. Galvin, were there. And they really were in... Sometimes I think to myself, when people look back at 2022 or 23, like, what is the clothes we were wearing? Like, what will be like, the, you know, the, the leisure suits of our time? Well, let me tell you, it is what they were wearing to the Tonys. It's like the kind of oversized gray, like um, cinched suits that have like a, a bit of women's wear in them, but a, but a bit of athletics too. Anyway, just look at the, I think that is what we will look back and think, oh, that was a red carpet look for 2022, 2023, when we won't yeah. have those in five years. Yeah. Um, 3 a.m. on MTV. Yeah. Right. In 1984. That's exactly right. That's the vibe. That's the vibe. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's very, the look of love. Yeah, no, oh, it's, it, sorry. It's very, it's very. She's got the look. It, it's very. Um, <laughs> stop making sense. The Talking Heads. Yes, yes. yes. Mm -hmm. 
if I had any inclination for seeing Camelot, I was quickly dissuaded. That was not compelling. That was that was not it. Also, just Sorkin on the stage, I'm just not sure. I get yeah. that we want that mammoth voice of like cockiness and verbosity, but just not for me. Well, then write a new play. Right. Also, mm-hmm. like, come on. I don't want to see Camelot. It's not for me. But Jordan Donica is so hot. And like, you know, we went from David Diggs to him. Broadway also always has to have sort of like a masculine man who's light-skinned with curly hair. <laughs> uh, just like Sarah Bareilles, who uh, performed from, uh, Into the Woods. One Woods. of my favorite light-skinned singers. Yes, right. She is suddenly, over the past couple of years, it's not taken long, become an essential Broadway figure. Like, yeah. she better not leave that stage. Like, if she isn't something, you have to go see it. There's the the incredible purity of her voice and, and the sincerity of her voice. She conveys sincerity so well. And She was really, uh, really good at, um, ri- like, rival Joanna Gleason's Baker's Wife. Yes, me. right. Classic. Uh, Joanna Gleason, uh, royalty to me, not just because of Broadway, but because her father is whom? She's you have an three old white seconds. woman. Yeah, <laughs> that too. Uh, her, her father is uh, Monty Jackie? Hall, the host, the host of uh, uh, Let's Make a Deal. Oh, I thought her father was Jackie Gleason. Nope, incorrect. Much as we love him and uh, uh, upset bus drivers across, across the country. Well, to the moon with you then, Joanna. <laughs> <laughs> My dumbest joke. Also, this may be the most cishet thing I've ever said. Ariana DeBose looked fucking hot with longer hair. I was Girl, happy to see her do new okay. hair. Yeah. Baby, the breasts were breasting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that too. And the like this long gown too. Oh, and when she came out in this like sort of like um this robe, she looked like she was in waiting to exhale. Yes. Wow. You took me back. Where's uh, waiting to exhale the musical, by the way? I would watch the fuck out of that. You you really uh, the, the image of Layla Rashawn just flung t- to my mind so that's very exciting um yeah no i mean like with the long hair she really had scherzinger vibes you know what i mean mm-hmm. this like that kind of like sh- showgirl swag yeah no she i mean she was a fucking star mm-hmm. uh during the show and like and, and she of course it, by the way had to improvise at the beginning talking about the wga and how mm-hmm. um uh the theater stood in solidarity with the wga and she did a great job with that too she really mm-hmm. didn't take even a beat too long she had a couple of jokes And then moved it along. It was really well done. Also, that's how you do... Not that anyone was ever, like, really making fun of her um, for the Baptist thing, even though it was um, Baftling. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You need to stop writing for variety on the borders. You need to stop. (laughs) The Baftas baftled. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But she was um, just so good. And now it's just like, well, what was the conversation earlier? Because look, I'm like, I'm a fucking triple threat, quadruple threat, bitch. Like, right. She, she is, she really is the moment. I was so impressed with her during that show. Like, she was really, really good. Quick trivia for you. So, we have Patricia Arquette on today. We had Ariana DeBose on the show before. Can you name the three other Best Supporting Actress winners we've had on Keep It Go? Girl. <laughs> uh, wait. Tick tock, tick tock. Marsha Gay Harden. That's one, yes. Um... Uh, Kathleen Turner? No. Best Actress nominee 1986 didn't win. Mm. Uh, what are the old people we had on the show? We had Miss Rachel Weisz. 
oh wait, no, we've had we we literally and had one more. Mary Steenburgen and Mary Steenburgen. Yes, yes, yes. By the way, this is consider this a cattle call to all the remaining ones. Get your ass on here. How many are left? Uh, quite a few. I mean, they they live. Vanessa Redgrave is still with us. They they, we, they go back and back. Shirley okay. Jones is still with us. She won in 1960. Who are who are who are five? Eva Marie Saint, get your ass here. Who Say are what? five that you could reasonably see coming on the show and that we should have on it? Okay, uh, Kay Planchett. Yeah. Well, yes. Okay. Jennifer Hudson would love to talk with Jennifer Hudson. Yes. Come here. Monique, one, one of the great out. interviewees, Monique. I would love to have Monique on the show. Oh. <laughs> um, I just want to talk to Monique about her stand-up. Yeah, that too. Right. She has a new stand-up. Um, and let's see here. Viola Davis, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll pick a more classic one. Angelica Houston, your time is now. Mm, okay. Oh, I have two. Okay, go ahead. Um, my girl, Penelope Cruz. Absolutely. Uh, excuse me. I, I actually thought about this recently. I feel like Penelope Cruz does not come up on this podcast a lot. And let me say something. Here's me leaving a movie that Penelope Cruz was in. She did it again. That's me leaving a Penelope Cruz movie. She is so solid. She's like the lifeguard at Mother Lake. Please. She <laughs> saves lesser divas who fall into Mother Lake. She's like, come here, Naomi Watts. I'm pulling you out of the water. And the other one? Marissa Tomei. Of course. Of course. Three nominations, all of them fabulous. Yeah, and one win. That's correct, 1992. Strong what category was, that year. What else was she nominated for? In the Bedroom and The Wrestler. Oh. And she won for Mike Hudson Denny. Yes, great fabulous movies. movies, yeah. I love The Bedroom. Um, and The Wrestler, Aronofsky. One By the way, best. before we move on, uh, someone tweeted out how... Um, Julia Roberts' uh, Aaron Brockovich win was, like, one of the best wins in the past, like, few decades. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great fucking performance. Sure. And then some people were in the comments being like, yeah, it's so hard, though, because Ellen Burstyn was, you know, nominated that year. And let me tell you something. I, in 2000, in that era, like, mm-hmm. yes, we were constantly talking about Requiem for a Dream. I don't want to think about that movie anymore. I do have to say I will never see that movie again, even though yeah. Ellen Burstyn absolutely torched it. Yeah, she did. But I think that, like... <sighs> that movie's legacy has not held up. Aaron Brockovich is just the rare combination of utter star power and utter, like, actress performance. Like, they really, like, the X and Y axis there are at peak. Yeah. Meanwhile, Requiem for a Dream was like, that bitch was in Saw. Yes, right. <laughs> like, Darren Aronofsky was, like, cackling over a loudspeaker watching no. her perform. I don't like thinking about Jennifer Connelly in that movie either. That really upsets me. Yeah. That's another that's another person who should be on this show. She seems fun, actually. It's very weird that we haven't. We've talked about her. Yeah, with David Diggs, because yeah, she with, was in that uh, Snowpiercer show. Yeah. Yeah, that show happened. Anyway, we'll be right back with Patricia Arquette. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. 
With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And (laughs) I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have it always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. So I have been obsessed with our next guest since I was scared to death watching a VHS of Dream Warriors as a kid. This is a capital A actor with an Oscar for her supporting role in Boyhood, Emmy noms for Severance, Medium, and Escape at Danamara, and a win for the act. An all-around cool person who's literally been in some of your favorite films from True Romance, Lost Highway, Stigmata, and now you can catch her in Apple TV's hilarious High Desert. Please welcome to Keep It, the remarkable Patricia Arquette. Hello. Hi, guys. Hi. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) 
You're you're one of these people. Well, I I have to say, like you, it seems like you love weirding us out with your talent. Like every time you get a new role, I'm like, what's this thing gonna turn up? Like it's not gonna be the thing we saw before. She's probably gonna have like a lot of contradictory um, personality traits that'll be exciting and a little alien occasionally. Uh, w- tell me about High Desert and what you like about this character. So. Right before High Desert, I did Severance, which is very beautiful, controlled, kind of sci-fi, retro, kind of claustrophobic, very contained character uh, for the main character, Cobell. And then this is the opposite. This is like a crazy farce. It's a counterculture comedy. My character is sober-ish. She's like a hot mess Tasmanian (laughs) devil creating... (laughs) drama everywhere she goes and it's really silly and funny yeah i'm like i I was immediately drawn in by one the palm Springs setting which i feel like more things should be set there that's right that's (laughs) right and i'm sure we we're gonna start a trend here please and bring a bunch of people to palm springs right yeah, forget I mean, Vegas, okay? Do, do shoot, <laughs> set more things in Palm Springs. <laughs> exactly. Because then and you can go and French film Riviera. something. And the, yes, oh, that too. We'll go to that. And but, Paris. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like in Palm Springs. Peggy you goes to Paris. I could see it now. It feels like you shoot during the day in Palm Springs, then at night you go and watch Dionne Warwick perform or something. It just seems so ideal. Well, Bernadette Peters is on our show. Yes. How about that? Yes, yes. She performs in Palm Springs. I mean, let's keep it in the family, shall we? <laughs> uh, I want to ask, you know, a bit about, um, you know, going back to, you mentioned Severance, um, and that was, you know, like such a um, such a great show, by the way. Uh, I'm Thank obsessed you. with it. Um, you're working with um, Ben Stiller on this, on that, you know, as a director, uh, and Lewis and I uh, recently revisited uh, Flirting with Disaster, uh, where you know, I believe that's where you first met and started working with Ben. So, what has your um, relationship been like over the years, starting as working opposite one another? And now he's directed you in two shows. Well, he actually produced High Desert. Jay Roach directed okay. it, all the episodes. Mm-hmm. They, they had done. Meet the Fockers together. Mm-hmm. But Ben did uh, direct me in Severance, most of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and a woman named Aoife also directed a couple of those episodes. But the time between working as actors together on Flirting with Disaster and then working with Ben as a director on Escape at Danamora, we, we mm-hmm. did. And then we did Severance together, um, at, again, as a him directing me. Um, we didn't really talk through the years. I mean, I think we may have bumped into each other once or twice. So I was very surprised when he called me about Escape at Danamora and excited because I'd followed that case. Um, I love working with him and I love his taste and I, he's a real perfectionist and I love his notes and yeah, I really am very appreciative for this creative collaborations we've had uh something i loved seeing you did an actors on actors with julia roberts not long ago and in thinking about it i realized 
you guys have basically worked the same amount of time, like became famous around the same time, like in all these prestige projects over the years and stuff. What actors do you, over the years do you, have you related to most? Because I think of you as such a specific, one of a kind, again, like, like fascinating actor to watch. And I wonder who else fascinates you and is uh, just exciting to you as a colleague. I mean, I think Viola Davis is one of the greatest living actors there are. Her work is always so powerful. And she can play so many different kind of characters. And I always believe her in whatever she does. Um, I love Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I think his work's always really soulful and moving. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is an incredible actor. I always look forward to what he's got going on. You know, there's a lot of really wonderful actors. I kind of, I don't really know that much of the newest generation of young people. Um, I'm just, there's so much content right now. And I don't feel <laughs> like I'm up to date on all the youngest people stuff. So I know that there's, you know, Timothy Chalamet is doing interesting work. Um, but I, I really don't know that much about the young people. Well, let me just say, as we're people who allegedly keep up on pop culture, and you never feel like you watch everything. I think that I think that feeling is over. That ended in like two thousand five. <laughs> I mean, we used to have like four channels. You know, it was like Charlie's Angels on Tuesday night. We were all watching <laughs> everyone. Uh, I brought up uh, at the beginning, you know, um, literally one of my favorite movies, and I know it's where you got your start, um, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, working uh, off of Wes Craven's script, not with him directly, but I have to ask about, you know, starting out in a horror film and then going on to do so many, like, weird sort of films, you know, like Lost Highway and, like, a stigmata. Like, is that something that um, you were very drawn to, sort of, early in your career? Is it like a sensibility that you like? Or was it just like, I started out in this horror movie and then all of a sudden these are the roles that I'm getting? I love horror movies. Ah. I love <laughs> horror movies. I want to do more and more horror movies. Not only horror movies, but I really, really like them. I mean, the original Suspiria is incredible. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've been obsessed with that for many years. The Witch was great recently. There's yes. so many. Rosemary's Baby, The Shining. I mean, I love The Omen, The Exorcist. Okay, forget about it. <laughs> I, I love horror movies. <laughs> I do. It feels like even your comedies have like some darkness in them too. Would you say darkness is a defining just quality you like exploring and work? Well, I don't think so much with Peggy. I mean, Peggy's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Peggy will rip you off. Peggy <laughs> will lie to you. She'll also take care of you. She's a very confusing, you know, mess. But she's not evil. Where, I mean, I have been, like, in the act. Well, hold on a second. You know, you're <laughs> torturing your child. So... Lately, I have been playing a lot of scary women, and that's really fun. I'll tell you that. But I don't think <laughs> Peggy in High Desert is really one of those. I kind of broke away from my monster phase that I've been in. Yeah, it's so exciting seeing, you know, I mean, talking about all of the content, for one. But, you know, like this and Severance, it's like it really seems like 
There's a lot of really good stuff happening on Apple TV that I've been discovering lately. So I'm excited for that, at least, you know, for you to do, you know, two shows with them. So, Yeah, and they're so opposite. I mean, for me, it's like, you know, High Desert is like a Coen Brothers farce, counterculture, you know, irreverent disaster, silly comedy. I mean, I get to drive around in a dune buggy, like the 1970s. <laughs> it's really fun. I thought of Raising Arizona when I was watching it, so I'm glad to hear that oh, that connection was funny. made by the people in the show, too. <laughs> <laughs> Something I was fascinated by uh, that I read recently, uh, obviously True Romance is a fabulous performance from you. I, I just feel like you made that character more dimensional than it is on the page. There's something about even just watching your facial expressions from moment to moment. Where I'm like, this character is, is, is so much deeper um, just by virtue of you playing her. But, but you also, um, it was a difficult role for you because there were aspects of the character you didn't relate to. Like you're, you become more engrossed by Christian Slater after he kills somebody. And I have to say like that trepidation does not appear on the screen. I was fascinated that that was such a conflicting experience for you. Yeah, I had to work with my acting teacher about that because after he kills someone, he comes back and he's eating a hamburger and I start crying and he's like, why are you crying, right? Why are you crying? And I am supposed to say what you did was so romantic. Mm. I was like, Mm. eek, you know? (laughs) Ah, how do I do that? Oh. And, you know, sometimes as an audience member, you might watch something and think, she means that. Mm-hmm. But between my acting teacher, Roy London, and I, he was like, hey, girl, the minute that guy walks in and you know he killed someone, he's a killer. And you better keep him on your side. So you better convince him you love him. And convince him it's all okay because you don't want to end up dead. So that's what I was secretly playing under there. I wasn't playing... This is so romantic that you killed somebody. I was playing, whoa, you're a murderer and you're a crazy person. And whoa, and you're turning on me now. Oh, no, baby, I got to make it all good with you, you know? So Mm -hmm. it's funny. Sometimes as an actor, you know, you have your own blocks of your own moral code or your own way of thinking. And you just don't know how to make it believable because you don't know how to play that moment. And you may be thinking it's something totally different than the audience ever gets. That's so interesting, you know, because I mean, I I really enjoy that movie, um, and I love uh, Tony Scott's directing. Um, uh. And I, you know, like I could, you could sort of like imagine, like, where the hell is she doing all this? You know, because it's not very natural born killers. It's like she's she's a normal person. Um, and then now hearing your reading of that, it's so exciting. I like, I can't wait to rewatch that with that in mind. Are there any other roles that you might have had where you feel like, you know, this character is completely opposite of like what I would do in a moment? And maybe you made like a choice that might surprise some of us who watched it? Well, so many of them. But another one was in Tromance in that big fight scene with James Gandolfini. Mm. Um, but it was a little different. You know, just figuring out how to play that scene for me and with my coach, it was like, oh, at first she's like, hey, my boyfriend's a football player. He's going to be back. You know, she's saying kind of all this stuff. So really, she's trying to buy time 
so her boyfriend can come save her. You know that gender bias thing? She has it too. And she thinks her boyfriend's going to show up with his gun in time and save her. So she's stalling <laughs> around for time. And may, then she tries to suddenly charm him and be charming. And, you know, and then that's not working. And now he's explaining how he's going to kill you or what it was like when he <clears throat> first killed someone. This is very interesting because he explains towards the beginning of that scene. How he threw up the first time he killed someone. Mm -hmm. He's saying this to her before he's getting ready to kill her. But by the end of the scene, she's now the person who has just killed their first person. Mm. He's almost explaining to her how you're going to feel once you kill me. Now, that's all subconscious that, you know, he doesn't realize that. But at a certain point in the scene, she realizes my boyfriend's not coming back in time. <laughs> oh, my God, it's on. I'm going to use this little tool I have, and I'm even scared to do that. And now you're freaking mm -hmm. out. Now we're we're at it with each other. And by the end, after she kills him, it's like, I can't kill you dead enough. I'm beating you, and you're dead already with the gun I already killed you with. Like, <laughs> so, like it's such a such a transformation of person. And by the mm -hmm. end, she is the killer who just killed their first person. I love that. I have to, I then have to wonder, you know, I love Lost Highway and I watch a lot of David Lynch films. Um, so what was your acting okay, coach process go. like <laughs> doing, doing, a, doing a David Lynch film? <laughs> first of all, David Lynch is a genius. And, you know, I was like, David. Am I two people? Am I a ghost? Am I a hallucination? What am I here? What do you think, Arquette? What do you think? So I decided <laughs> I had to decide something or I was going to lose my mind. Again, how do you play something when you don't have, you have to make specific choices as an actor. So I decided that Fred was this, you know, modern man. He considered himself a modern man. But underneath was this monster, and he was super jealous. And you see little glimpses of it. When he comes home from work, he touches the hood of the car to see her car to see if she left, if her car hood is warm. And there's this weird way they communicate. And David would have us take a lot of time between our lines. Mm -hmm. So it's almost somnambulistic, almost hypnotic, like, how was your night? Wait, wait, wait. Fine. How was yours? Wait, wait. Very wait. pinter. So, <laughs> yeah, and a lot of tension between them. And at that point, I think she was sort of like a panther going, I'm just going to starve you to death of emotional things so you'll go away because I'm kind of scared of you. <laughs> so suddenly these these videotapes start showing up, right, of their bedroom, going into their bedroom. Anyway, when she gets killed, he gets arrested. He's like, I'm innocent. What's going on? But then when he's in prison, he starts getting these horrible headaches. And suddenly he transforms into this young boy who miraculously re-meets her. So... And now this time, she desires him. She wants to have sex with him. She's in love with him. 
So the idea that I had was, this is looking at women through the eyes of a misogynist. Fred couldn't admit to himself that he's a murderer, kind of like O.J. Simpson. I think Mm -hmm. at a certain point he believed he was innocent. And then... And then he meets her again, and now they're together. But even in it, you know, even his fantasy, she's a horror, terrible person. Because it's looking at women through the eyes of this misogynist. They're always going to turn out to be monsters, but they're always going to be your fantasy person. And they're going to love you and then hate you and destroy you. And it's just a cycle of that. Um, Does that make sense? I, yes. I have Absolutely. To, no, no, I have to ask. Have you ever taught acting? I'm thinking actually of you were in Sean Penn's uh, directorial effort, The Indian Runner, with one of my favorite actresses ever, Sandy Dennis, who who she was a teacher at the end of her life too. Um, wow, and, wow! And uh, I just think of—I actually think of you both are kind of alike. Like I feel like if you show up to set, there's a specific energy and thing you bring, and it's like, okay, what can we work with here? Like there's just so much to work with uh, for like a, a good uh, director. Have you ever taught before? No, uh, I've not, not really. I mean, I've given a couple of little speeches at different acting classes. A friend of mine who passed away, I used to teach acting and I went in one day and talked to the students, but no, not really. Um, but I, I really appreciate acting teachers and I get a lot out of acting teaching, uh, teachers when I work with them and, I'd like to take some more classes. I mean, I feel like you can never stop learning. And maybe someday I would want to teach. I don't know. Because you're just so explicit about the choices, which I don't feel like is a given for every actor. You know what I mean? It feels like you have the words picked out per intention every time. I think it turns me on. Research turns (laughs) me on. Understanding looking at things a certain way, human behavior and why we act a certain way. And my dad, I'm a fourth generation actor, right? My great grandparents were struggled living six people in a room doing vaudeville. My dad struggled as an actor to, you know, support all seven of us. And my grandfather was in live radio and live television, early television. So for me, um, Acting, you know, is a part of our family conversation. My dad would talk about acting and choices and so on. My mom was a therapist. So she would talk about, oh, this person's a narcissist. Oh, that's so interesting. This person in the DMSO would be categorized. So I started to look at the psychology and the subconscious behavior and I, I like to layer those together. I think that's apparent. Mm. And uh, thank you for sharing that. That's like a, a very interesting key into what you do. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, recalling, you know, what you thought on set and these choices. I mean, I feel like uh, since you've worked with everyone, by the way, almost, you know, I feel like you could have more, even just a more, book of a, cha- <laughs> a chapter on, you know, like working with Michelle Gondry, working with Martin Scorsese, you know, I just think that like oh, yeah. making choices with these specific directors and their specific mm-hmm. minds, I feel like so many actors would want to know, like, what is this like? <sighs> yeah. And it's kind of incredible. I feel like the, the majority of the directors I worked with have been men in the past. And that's kind of the way that it always was. And I felt like for me, 
so many of them were like great dads. Mm. I mean, Tony Scott, for me, was such a pivotal, pivotal director because I was very young when I did True Romance, and I was already stubborn a little bit. But every idea I'd have for that part, you'd be like, that's a great idea. Hey, everyone, Bama's got this idea we're going to do, da-da-da. Well, only one time that whole... That whole time, did he say, mm, I don't know about that idea? And then we shot it. And mm. I said, okay, no problem. And we shot it. And then he goes, no, but you were right. We're going to shoot it Bama's <laughs> way now. <laughs> and Christian Slater would always have these ideas. And Tony would be like, that's a terrible idea. He'd be like, why do you listen to all her ideas? But what I got from that as a young girl actress who was being cast as the girlfriend, the girlfriend, was trust your instincts. And you're smart. Mm -hmm. And listen to yourself. And a good director is going to take it and run with it. They're not going to fight you every inch of the way, every thought you have, everything. You know, a lot of sometimes directors, even sometimes older directors, will resist anything their actor wants to try that isn't in their mind already. And what happens is you stagnate your actor's. At least let them do it that way. Say, go for it. You guys do whatever you want to do. Great. Then say, you know what? Let's try one like this. But if you just are constantly on them, like, no, not like that. Do it like this. Do it like, th even before you shoot. Hey, let's talk about this scene. Okay, so you're doing this and you're saying it like that. Like, no, man. It's, it's you're already... You know, you're already smothering everybody before we even see what it is. Um, I, I, one of my favorite, like, smaller roles of yours, but a bewitching role, is your role in Ed Wood. What was the interaction between you and Tim Burton like? Because I feel like that's a pretty interesting and, like, awesome match. Like, I'd be like, oh, yeah, definitely put Tim Burton and Patricia Arquette together. I want to see what happens. Well, Tim is, like, such a visionary and very nice man. And... I was a very small part of that movie. I do think it was a kind of a, definitely is a pivotal part of that movie. And Ed, you know, and Ed's story, I got to meet Kathy Wood on that. He set that up. And she was the real, you know, wife of Ed Wood. And she told me a great story. She said, um, Eddie was like this one time. I was wearing this rust-colored suit, you know, skirt suit. And Eddie came to meet me, and he's like, stop right there, Kathy, stop. And he runs away, and I don't know where he's going. And he runs back with this gardenia that he's found. And he's like, I found the most magical thing. It's a gardenia, but it's exactly the color of your suit. She's like, Eddie didn't know that it was because it was old and dying and you know, like a dead gardenia turns rust-colored. He just thought it was like a magical gardenia that happened to be the color of my suit. She's like, that's how he saw life, is this very magical way. And Tim, you know, gave me that opportunity as a young actor to meet her and talk with her and kind of get her spirit. But, I mean, between the sets... And what Martin Landau was doing, which was oh, incredible, yeah. and Johnny and yeah. everybody, and these giant, you know, period setups, 
I didn't get a lot of time with Tim to like, we weren't getting in deep like that. I underestimated that you would be able to meet that woman. Those movies feel hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the Ed Wood stuff. That's awesome that you got to. Yeah. Yeah. Kathy, what a sweetheart. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much for being here, Patricia. Uh, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Fun to talk about acting in movies. (laughs) We may draft you to do this like once a month or something. I can't can't get enough. It's too fun. (laughs) (laughs) What a pleasure. Thanks. Oh, my God. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Critically acclaimed actor, and after reading this memoir, iconic messy bitch, Elliot Page. T. Spiller. Putting the T in T. Spiller. Released his new memoir, Page Boy. Um, And there's a lot of tea in this. Yeah. I was not prepared because (laughs) Elliot Page is obviously a fabulous actor, celebrity, um, but so... um, the quintessential Canadian. And I feel mm. like, you know, somebody who I just feel like wants to like g- get away from Hollywood and work the land. You know what I mean? So I don't, mm. I never occurred to me that Elliot Page would be giving us a saucy memoir, but um, mm. it's not really saucy so much as people treat Elliot Page like garbage, you know, it, mm. uh, back when um, he had come out as a lesbian before that, you know, the way like A-list actors will just say something offhanded or horrible or abusive to um, you know, a questioning young person is uh, very shocking. I'm, I, I'm, I have to say, even if all we got was discussions about how um, kind of cruelly, casually people can be to Elliot Page, that would have been good. But there's so much else in this memoir, too. Um, I'm really, I love reading how 
the, just the voice itself is so great. So fun to read. Yeah. Um, Elliot had this great conversation with Raquel Willis recently. Um, you know, I adore Raquel Willis as well, a friend, and uh, she's a trans activist and writer. Um, really, gr- it's, it's great that we're getting so many great new, like, trans voices writing things. Um, that's what I would say. I mean, because yeah. memoirs are memoiring. Like, because what have we had before? Like, just Janet Mock's book? I guess, yeah. No, you're right. I, the the explicitness and the and also just the plain spokenness of Elliot Page too. It's not written to be scandalous, you know. Mm. Uh, but the scandal. And let's figure out who the fuck this is. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. Read the specifics of this mystery person from the memoir. Yeah. So there was a revelation that Kate Mara and Elliot Page had an affair. Which love. It. And by the way, Kate Mara was on the show and it did not come up. And I just want to say we are open and in my opinion, smart queer people, and she should have said something at the time. Yeah, okay. But she was too and busy you... talking about Hulu's a teacher, and now I'm upset. <laughs> Max Minghella was like, don't you talk about that on the show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, anyway, there that revelation happened, but there's another revelation in the book about a famous A-list actor who did this to Elliot Page. Um, Elliot wrote, I told him to stop harassing me to fuck off that he was being extremely offensive. I got up again and went inside. He pursued behind. I sat down on a small sofa, and he did too. I'm going to fuck you to make you realize you aren't gay. I'm going to lick your asshole. It's going to taste like lime. You're not gay. Wow. The movie cruising. what is happening there? <laughs> Speaking of Patrick Tough. Barber, yeah. it sounds like a scene for Closer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that is obviously extremely gross behavior. And also, this person sounds so dumb. Wow, I yes. haven't thought about the reality of the reality of queer people for no. uh, even a second. A lot of people on Reddit were speculating. One name that popped to everybody's lips was Chris Pratt. Can I just say, it doesn't sound like Chris Pratt to me. No. I can't picture it. First of all, God does not let you lick assholes. It's in the Bible. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, Leviticus, <laughs> yeah, check the fine print, right? Chris, Chris Pat clutching his crucifix as he's, as he's hearing about this could never be me. No, 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 no. Also, I feel like Elliot Page criticized some of Chris Pratt's religious beliefs or something in previous years, so I don't think uh, he would be as cagey about it if it were him. I could be wrong, mm. but... Yeah, what's interesting about this blind item is that it happened at a party, which means that it could be anybody. It's not like it happened on set. Correct, correct. To me, it has. I am not accusing this person of being the A-lister. It, mm-hmm. It's someone who feels older and out of touch to me. It Mark feels Wahlberg. Some, it feels like someone in the area of Ben Affleck, <laughs> but not Ben Affleck. Mark Wahlberg. Okay, yes. That, By the way. That, that kind of, at, like, you could, I can imagine Mark Wahlberg saying, I'm going to fuck you till you're straight. I mean, like, he's not, shall we say, the world's greatest ally, so I can kind of <laughs> picture that. Oh, if you've we're, eaten we're, a Wahlburger, guess what you're not? Queer. Mm, I've eaten a Wahlburger. Oh, well, give up your gay card. There are people who still say gay card, and it makes me violently ill. I ate it for Donnie. <laughs> who is dating? <laughs> Jenny McCarthy. So you're still not gay. No. Depends which Jenny McCarthy. Tr- right. Man, did she have it on Singled Out? And I loved her on that sitcom, too. Can we bring back Singled Out? Yeah, we did on Quibi. Oh, that's right. Joe Kim Booster and Kiki Palmer, who I believe has hosted 150,000 shows. (laughs) She's the new host to keep it. 
Right. No, We're she'll out. wander right in here. They'll kick me out. You think <laughs> they are on the fence about me here? Yeah. Hey, Lewis. <laughs> it's time for you to go. This will be an Irish show. I take my bindle and just walk out. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it has to be the attitude of someone who's, you know, like generally an asshole. Right, right. Unless and they're, they're shockingly an asshole. Yeah, the, the the nerve of it feels not like Chris Pratt to me. Not I've, I just don't feel like I've heard that kind of story about him. I could be uh-huh. uneducated. It's not like I'm seeking those stories out. But but like yeah, actors some, as people just generally aren't like humans in general. Actually, it's very hard hard to hide your like general human nature. Mm-hmm, right. You know, like if you're an asshole, you're an asshole. You're either you're a funny one or like a evil one. But like if you're an asshole, you generally know who's an asshole. Oh, right, right. Yeah. It, it just feels like somebody who is such an A-lister that they are so used to everybody agreeing to everything they say. And it feels like they, they've been at this a, a longer time than Chris Pratt. That would be my guess. Mm. Mm. Will Smith. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. my God. That would be bone chilling also. Yeah. He was like, fucking a woman made me realize I wasn't gay. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to leave that there. We've had Gammy on this show. <laughs> that was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> I almost made a joke about an A-list actor on Watch What Happens Live this week. Oh, right. Wait, uh, wait. You were uh, the w- bartender? Yes, with John Hamm and John Slattery. Uh, Which, and, good to see them back together. Always a fan. I know. Um, they're in a new movie that um, Slattery directed. Oh. Um, with um, John Hamm and Tina Fey reunited. And I love seeing them on screen together. Oh, I'm excited about that. But Tina didn't write the movie? I have my no. misgivings about Tina and things she didn't write. Well, on. talking about um, licking assholes, there's a very funny joke <laughs> about that in the movie. Oh, oh you've seen the movie? Clint. No, they play a clip. Oh, I see, I see. And that, that um, sentence is uttered by someone. And it's a very funny scene. Also, I uh, feel like if you put John Hamm... In front of Andy Cohen, he may spill some stuff. Yeah. It was funny because, you know, like, John Hamm never wants to talk about his, like, um, Hamaconda, as the oh, internet calls it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, of course, if you go and watch it happen, live, Andy Cohen's going to make that joke. No, he's going to have a poster of it on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he did confirm that he has never sent a dick pic in his life. Well, I think that just the rules are totally different for actors. For I'm, I'm not surprised. For actors I, uh, yeah. and straight men. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I di- women aren't like that. Gay men are like lizard-brained animals. They just want everything visually in front of them all the time. It's why we have Grinder. Also, his won't even fit in a picture. <laughs> <It's-> Ansel <laughs> Adams is like, we have to use the landscape for this one. He's got Nessie in those pants. <laughs> Ness, look at you. <laughs> are you hosting a drag bingo night right now? <laughs> Elliot Page, open discussion. Besides Juno, which, of course, remains one of the definitive mm. performances ever, what's your favorite Elliot Page performance? Honestly, you can't go wrong with Hard Candy. I would say the same thing. That is one of the most unforgettable movies of that era to me. And the interplay with Patrick Wilson, which that wouldn't have been my, like, first idea for that kind of character. You know, because he, he to me, reads kind of pure. He, he reads to me like um, his character in Angels in America. You know, there's like a sort of... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, dead-eyed um, purity about him that he plays really well in, and in movies like um, Little Children, etc. Um, I love Patrick Wilson. Yeah. Love him. Yes, great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he makes those Conjuring films. Him and Vera. I, right. Which worries me. I feel like... I mean, Ant- they were bored as hell on the last one. 
I feel they, like Mr. Skarsgård has taken a lot of his coin right now. It's upsetting me. I would also say, this is a surprise one, maybe, um, for people. Whip It. Uh, I thought Whip It is a, is a really, really delightful movie. Uh, and it's a Drew Barrymore's directorial debut. Correct. I, I found the movie a little boilerplate, but I like that all the actors had something fun to do. I mean, you know, like Juliette Lewis playing someone in the roller derby. How did that take until 2009 to happen? That is somebody who belongs... Who, who should have a pun name that rhymes with Smashley or whatever. Miss Marsh Gay Harden is the mother in that movie, too. Um, and also, it remains the only film that Drew Barrymore has directed. I, what's that about? It's perfectly well-directed. She should do that again. Yeah, maybe she just doesn't want to. Yeah, I guess. Where's Drew? We got to stop asking people to come on this show. Uh, that's right. It's no. getting desperate. But by the way, <laughs> I actually have no I actually have no problem with just asking people at this point. I forgot to mention Lupita Nyong'o earlier. <laughs> Excuse me. What else are you doing but talking to us? Sorry. <laughs> she looked fucking amazing at the Tonys. Oh, Jesus. I may imagine her not looking amazing. Uh, well, Lupita Nyong'o looking like garbage at the Oscars. No, you, like it doesn't make sense. We've seen Star Wars. Oh, that's true. Well, when they what was she like a blob in that? <laughs> Eep op orkin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. And Lewis, I have two Keep It's, and I need to do my first one immediately because it is okay. It is a national emergency. Oh, all right. Uh, uh, alarm emoji. Okay, what is it? Gay men. Yep. It is summer. Mm-hmm. It is hot. Put on some fucking deodorant. Oh, excuse me. If I go to a gay club or whatever, like a warehouse party or whatever, there are truly people I know to avoid because I know what's going on and I know it's going to get on me when they hug me. Yes, that is actually the main issue. I Listen, we're men. I like, I like a bit of a musk. Okay, it can't be the only thing I smell in the whole fucking room. Yeah, I don't want to smell it as soon as you enter, okay? Like, w- yeah. walking in, like, walking in purse first, and the purse <laughs> is your B.O. Right. Fifi Le Pew, you're not. I do not want to smell it that quickly. <laughs> um, here's the difference, I would say. I'm fine with, like, the gays who don't want to wear deodorant. I have friends who don't. Whatever. Take a shower before you come out, okay? Yeah, what if you thought about other people for even one second? You know, do that then, so then you have the musk. But, like, I feel like some of these girls, they're like they're not showering for days. Also, I'm just saying, like, I get that you want the musk as, like, a sexual thing, but not everyone in the room is going to have sex with you. Think about that. You know, yeah. there's, like, a, there's a bit of a narcissism about it. I feel like my grandmother, which she used to, like, when I was a kid, like, when I needed to, like, wash my, wash under my arm, she'd be like, you need to go and wash them wings. <laughs> <laughs> That's very cute. Um, and I'm going to start saying that to people. Also, because it's really certain... the hug. It's really the oh. hug. And then it's like, okay, well, you know what? I have on Byredo's Mumbai Noise. And now I don't smell <laughs> like that anymore. Right. Yes. I had my own thing going for me. And you're interrupting that. No, I was with my friend Jan at a party over the weekend. And he came to me deliriously. And he said, can I ask you something? He goes, somebody just hugged me who smells so bad. Is it on me? Is it on me? And it was truly like Silkwood Shower. Like, I was like all over him making sure nothing was going wrong. He truly has one of the great, 
like porcelainish faces. Oh, my friend Jan Hatchel, yeah. who's very funny on Twitter. And He's is very a funny. Great pop music fan. Yes. Yeah. He's very funny. He's from Brazil. They do it well there. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, uh, we love a white Brazilian. Uh, do you? Okay. Uh, for the record, sounds good. <laughs> now, should I get to my keep it and then we return to your second keep it? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, very good. Um, my keep it uh, is minor because it's a sad occasion for me. Pat Sajak. Is Dodd? No, he's alive. Uh, uh, longtime host of Wheel of Fortune tweeted, well, the time has come. I've decided that our 41st season, which begins in September, will be my last. It's been a wonderful ride, and I'll have more to say in the coming months. Many thanks to you all. If nothing else, it'll keep the clickbait sites busy. Keep it to, Pat, what lies are people going to spread about you because you're leaving Wheel of Fortune? <laughs> Pat Sajak's leaving Wheel of Fortune, and he's gay. Like, what? <laughs> How can they bastardize this news? He used to um, molest the letters. Yeah. <laughs> Different vowels coming forward. <laughs> that is The that letter is Y said, funny... he treated me as a consonant when I act like a vowel. Yeah, That is such... <laughs> A funny statement to make about leaving the Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> Stop the lies and the slander. You literally ask people if they have kids and then move it to the game. I'm talking to you, Vanna. Keep your yeah. mouth shut. Well, let me just also say, I know I've brought this up before, but uh, Pat's daughter, Maggie, like mm-hmm. sort of lingers on the set. She's like the social media correspondent. She does like extra, there's like extras on her Instagram you can watch where she talks to Vanna or talks to mm-hmm. Pat, et cetera. And on a couple of occasions, she's worked the puzzle board while Vanna was like playing the game as a contestant or mm-hmm. uh, taking over when Pat uh, left for a couple of days. It's a little too all about you for me. I do not <laughs> like this woman just walking around, Nepo babying it through the alphabet. <laughs> I was wondering where this was going. Yeah. I thought you were about to be like, this nice young lady should have a job. <laughs> no. You're Incorrect. like, get out. <laughs> she's she, she she's like stilettoing all around Vanna. It's making me nervous. But I Buckle will say. Up, boys. It's going to yeah. be a bumpy vowel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm obviously thinking about who should replace Pat. And uh, the first name that came to mind was Louis Vertel. I have to say there is something about the way he operates in the game show universe you know that makes me the, think he could do it. You know what? The blogs are talking about Louis Vertel. Yeah. Okay. Bro, the blogs she, are talking. The streets are talking. Yeah. <laughs> and, I would love to see you host the Wheel of Fortune, to be honest. I, I, I watch truly it every do night. mean that. I mean, Jeopardy is my favorite show. This is my second favorite show. I watch it every night. Now, if they don't choose me and perhaps somebody who has, you know, thousands of hours of TV already logged under their belt, I think mm-hmm. somebody who would be amazing. Maybe he's a little older now. Like, maybe they want to invest in somebody younger. But Tom mm-hmm. Bergeron, who hosted uh, Dancing with the Stars and Hollywood mm-hmm. Squares long before that, fabulous host, has a fabulous memoir called I'm Hosting as Fast as I Can, mm-hmm. consummate MC, somebody who has that Pat Sajak um, kind of Dick Cavett-ish wit. Yeah. Um, with while moving it along, like somebody who's committed to the integrity of the game, he would be excellent. A friend of mine suggested RuPaul. I think there's too many things going on in the game for RuPaul. I think he wants it to be a little bit looser, you know? Mm. And I, that's how I feel about Steve Harvey, too. Steve Harvey wants, like, he'll get back to the game, but he likes taking a moment for himself, and there is mm-hmm. no time and wheel for that. That's so interesting because it's like, would, would an actor or like a personality who hasn't generally been like, they haven't come up as like a. You know, I'm a host. Yeah. You know, like, they, you know them for other things. It's interesting when they do decide to just, like, I'm going to host this thing and just have, like, a comfortable job for maybe the rest of my life. Like, remember Drew Carey as an actor? 
right. He used to be in multiple things, and now yeah. he is in this CBS vortex. You know, still giving away a sea dude to God knows whom. Uh, but he does a really <laughs> good job in the show. Yeah. I, I think, like a good example is like Jane Lynch on Weakest Link. It's mm-hmm. a little bit of like plug and play. Like I don't know how inspired that is, but she's mm-hmm. good enough on it. She's good on it. Um, so, so who do we think should just you know give it up? <laughs> who should just, stop? Who should doing just this? give up? And who mm. should just give up and then just go host the Wheel of Fortune? <laughs> God, that is a good question. I mean, like, I I, I would love a, a consummate host like a, a Tom Bergeron to do it. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, who else? Cara Diaguardi. Cara Diaguardi. I mean, I'll have a conversation about her at any time. I don't know if I need her <laughs> saying the words before and after at me. Um, obviously, you know, we had Aisha Tyler here recently. Uh, somebody who I think naturally falls into the a hosting capacity really well. Uh, that might work. Mm-hmm. Lottie Love. You know who I bet is gunning? Sherry Shepard. Because mm. she's hosted a number of game shows at this point. Yeah, um, including her daytime talk show, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of twists and turns in that show. Right. Do you remember her fucking the floor while talking about Shirley Ralph's son? Oh my God. Did you see right. this clip? Sherry Shepard is weirdly, she is both, I'll take a check and do any gig, and yet also I am unfucking hinged. <laughs> You're rarely both. So send me your comments about who should take over Pat Sajak. I feel like nobody's going to beat Tom Bergeron, but make sure to comment on our YouTube too, where you can watch us bantering and screaming at each other. I love going into our YouTube comments, which is very wild considering, you know, us as um, mid aged millennials. Sure. Or mid millennials. We're not mm-hmm. elder millennials. Uh, Millennials. Yeah. <laughs> um, you remember, like, growing up with YouTube, looking at the comments on YouTube is usually scary. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. And it's all caps and it's all yeah. like, weird links to the abyss of the internet. That's where Michael Arden was called a faggot. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They are straightforward and uh, uh, mean on yes. YouTube. But the subscribers to the Keep It, YouTube channel. We have our very own YouTube channel. If you're listening to this and you do not know that we have a YouTube channel where you can also watch the episodes each week, run over to YouTube and watch us. Um, the subscribers on the Keep It channel are very nice people. Oh, and they yes. Like I love reading the comments. Yes. Yeah. And they respond um, to questions that we've asked um, and they have conversations with each other. So I've been dipping into the comments more. Um, and as long as they stay respectful... <laughs> They don't have to be respectful, actually. As yeah. long as they stay fun, um, then I'll keep responding. Honestly, even the episode where we were talking about, like, the old gays fighting over Madonna and Kylie Minogue, mm-hmm. it was just like, they were big, it was a very, like, fun, like, people bantering back and forth with each other about Kylie oh. versus Madonna. I so, think I need to get a new YouTube account, but I will join in myself, you know. I yeah. love a little comment. I love a Come tweet, on, Grandma. You know yeah. Oh, oh, all right. Get my get camisole on place. Get you and a YouTube typing. account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ira. What is your other keep it? My other keep it goes to the idiots watching The Idol. Oh, no. Not because well, it's a bad show. It is. But because for some reason, people watching The Idol seem to think that this is actually the weekend. Oh, like just him like able. Like it's it's like so, like there's, you know, there's a scene, you know, like there's like a creepy sex scene in episode two of The Idol. And you have people online 
talking about how creepy the weekend is and how he has sex like this. And I'm like, he's acting poorly, mm-hmm. but he is acting. And people acting like Lily Rose Depp, like literally had jizz on her face in the show. Like it's it's acting. It's not even real semen. I just I don't I don't get it. I was getting into this debate. Um on Twitter because someone literally wrote, I really need Abel to get dragged for this nasty scene in the idol. The weekend's mind has rotted from too much porn consumption because that scene was disgusting. And notice how, again, he didn't even take his shirt off while Lily was naked. This is not <laughs> him doing this. This is a fictional character. And I commented this and some nut job responded <laughs> to me with, um, you don't say. Yeah. So the job responded to me. Um, it's also a tale as old as time that people express themselves in their art. Don't act brand new. You're a writer. That's how I work. I have uh, twisted sexual fantasies, and so I write them and then do them right in front of you. Listen, not everybody is Woody Allen. Okay. <laughs> Impor- important reminder. Important reminder. <laughs> um, for most other writers, yes, we write about ourselves in our art. But that is writers. The weekend is not firing up final draft and writing the idol, baby. <laughs> He's just not. Like, like it's, what, what's not clicking here? This reminds me of like a thing that I've heard from soap opera um, actors for years. You know, like um, people would confront them in the streets because it's like they think that they're their character. You know, oh, I'm not. I'm the amount yeah. of people they run into who are Nurse Betty has to be shocking. You know, Um, and oh my God, great fucking movie. Yeah, great movie. Um, Great Chris Rock role. Right. Rare. Remember when he used to act all the time? Yeah. Yeah. Now he's just busy getting slapped. He needs to slap a script on the table. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've also heard from like the actor Adam Bush, who played um, Warren on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like who was like a very creepy character. Um, You know, he like, tried to rape his girlfriend and then killed her um, and then like made a robot of her, et cetera. Uh, very creepy character, mm-hmm. right? Uh, who was on a t- play? He played this character on a TV show in the 2000s. Apparently people still talk to him and interact with him weirdly because they think he's his character. Well, it reminds you when Anna Gunn published that thing in the New York Times about how she had to defend her own character as if it was a friend of hers, basically. And... <laughs> Like, leave Anna Gunn alone. And by the way, then we did, and where is Anna Gunn now? Anna. You're on my mind, Anna Gunn. Yeah. Annie, get your gun, and get Anna Gunn. <laughs> wow, the brains have totally robbed. Um, if you're arriving think, to keep it now, the brains are smooth. I think we got to stop this episode. <laughs> yeah, we, we did our best. Ultimately, it was a failure. Thank you for sticking uh, around through it. Well, at least we had a great Patricia Arquette interview. <laughs> Yes, she did enlighten us before we (laughs) before we entirely disintegrated. We'll see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. And our associate producer is Malcolm Whitfield. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Vertel. This episode was recorded and mixed by Evan Sutton. Thank you to our digital team, Megan Patzel and Rachel Gajewski, and to Matt DeGroot and David Tolls for production support every week. And as always, Keep It is recorded in front of a live studio audience.
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Here you are. BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 